Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast Just Not Real Africa. And on this episode, we feature Irene Kananura from Uganda. And uh, before we get commencing, Irene, when it's it's great to have you here, and we are just so much interested in learn, in learning from your own experiences, your own work about the whole context with protected and conserved areas in Africa. But most important, as or as of now. Would like to know who you are. So, may please tell us your name, pronouns you associate with, where you're from, what actually inspires what you're wearing, what you're wearing right now, and uh, current roles or affiliations plus anything else you would like us to know. Thank you so much, and it's truly a great pleasure being here. Yeah, like you already said, my name is Irene Natkunda Kananura, and uh, I'm from Uganda. I'm an environmental conservationist by profession, and uh, my passion lies so much in uh, conservation, nature, uh, young people uh, taking action on the ground to make sure that um, the, the natural diversity of the environment is well managed and protected. And uh, I work with um, an NGO that I also co-founded called Biodiversity Hub International. And uh, we work to inspire agent and effective actions to protect and restore nature back to its home. And uh, Biodiversity Hub also hosts a chapter, the Uganda chapter of the Global Youth Biodiversity Network that I also co-coordinate. And uh, this is the on a global scale is the official youth department on the UN Convention on Biological Diversity. You can call it the UNCBD. And uh, most of the work we do under the youth network is uh, generally about uh, mobilizing young people to take action. So we do rally their voices to get to know what they think and what they think is actually implementable to produce tangible results, tangible outcomes in relation to environmental conservation biodiversity, conservation specifically, and also climate action. Yeah, that is a brief about me. And uh, what I'm wearing today is <laughs> really hot. You might be surprised why I'm wearing it all full because I was in a uh, meeting earlier, <laughs> in a professional meeting earlier, and uh, I, I couldn't change the attire. Of course, it's still hot, but I'm comfortable the way I am. Thank you. Super amazing. It's really, really amazing. And you've shared quite a lot already. <laughs> uh, no worries. I think a number of times you have to pay for the cost of being smart. So it's worth it. <laughs> and uh, right about now, it's, we would like to get to know your background. So I uh, want to know what exactly might have inspired you to get into the space. So what's your background and roadmap into the conservation space? What might have inspired you to pick up interest in conservation-related work? And uh, while speaking about this, we'd like to know Perhaps maybe this is from your perspective growing up, or maybe you got into this space by accident. So it's time for you to clear the air on this. Okay, it wasn't by accident. First of all, being in the space where I am, I think uh, from all the way since I was around, okay, a teenager around 14, 15, I used it to feel comfortable and uh, so relaxed in the areas besides home, in the farms, in the small forests around my home. 
uh, watching nature, watching butterflies, seeing those small insects creeping on your clothes. It used it to be so relaxing and I use it to love it. And uh, I started to focus on sciences because I love things to do with biology. And I ended up doing it also in my high school, doing biology. And uh, then I go to university and I meet uh, other young people who were actually doing the environmental course that I did. And they were already actually doing some great work on ground in communities. That is the part of uh, the passion I had that I didn't know. Like I would put my passion to do some transformative action in the community. So I started engaging, engaging in campaigns of environment, planting trees, uh, uh, those planting, pre-planting outreaches. And I, I felt like whenever I did that, I would find, feel like I'm in the right place. Oh, this is where I belong. And I also had a personal sense of uh, feeling uncomfortable seeing people do harm to the environment, like if someone dumping a bottle. And sometimes I would pick these bottles and my mom working with her, she would be, feel so uncomfortable. Like, why are you picking bottles that people are dumping? Why are you, and where are you taking them? Why don't you just leave them? And I would feel bad. Or sometimes I would feel like confronting the people who dump them actually when I'm looking at them. And I didn't know this was part of my passion. So it took me time to realize like, you know what? I actually want to belong in the conservation space where I can feel like I can do impact and this can count really or help in uh, restoring or bringing back nature to recovery. So that is part of the story that uh, really has driven my passion. And uh, I also grew up in, a, we have uh, tribal uh, beliefs where you find yourself, each individual at least belongs to a certain wildlife species that they conserve. That is a, a, a Ugandan cultural belief to some of the uh, clans. And I realized mine was um, a crow. Do you know the crow, this bird with a white neck? Yeah, that, tree, that one. And uh, my mom used to tell me, like, that is your sister. So wherever you see it, you just know that is your sister. And I felt like the concern over if I saw someone throwing a stone at it and I would feel so bad, like, why do you want to kill it? So all that due to my passion. And I ended up finding myself so much in love with nature and all that life forms around me. So my inspiration was uh, by the realities that I was living in, the environment that I was living in specifically made me, you know, okay, inspired me to really get to do something for something that I really care about, do something for nature because I really found myself caring about it all the time. Yeah, that is part of it. Amazing. I think it's a good thing that you perhaps didn't get into the space by accident <laughs> because perhaps there are others, quite a number of people who do. And uh, I would want, want to note that the whole conservation space is really broad. It's very broad and big. But one of the main areas we are trying, one of the main areas that is very crucial right now, it has actually been a very heated debate has been around protected and conserved areas. And I know you, it's not your first time encountering this. You've met it a number of times already. And uh, just from your own point of view, uh, I'm, I'm not sure whether you actually grew up around one or your village is within or around one. I'm not sure, but maybe you'll tell us that one yourself. So... I would just like to understand what, what it actually means from your own perspective. That's in the layman term, just uh, from your basic point of understanding. 
not uh, in terms of CBD terminologies or ETC, just from a basic mm -hmm. understanding. What are protein and conservation? I grew up knowing a conservation area is a national park, specifically, and that's what I grew up knowing. So whenever I heard of a protected area, I would think of a national park in my head. And, you know, growing up in schools, it's easy to have those trips. And that would basically be in Queen Elizabeth National Park. And that is the protected area I knew. But uh, to grow up, I realized there are also forests that are protected, wetlands that are protected. And uh, I didn't know why specifically they were called protected areas. So I tried to ask and they were like, uh, these are the areas that contain a diversity of wildlife and they, are, they have rules that govern the area. So otherwise, the communities would encroach on them and we would lose all these um, diverse species of wildlife. So to me, a protected area uh, right now, the um, national parks. Uh, so I expanded my knowledge to know that forests also belong there, wetlands also belong there. So that is what specifically I can call uh, a protected area or a conserved area. Yeah, super interesting and amazing. I think I wouldn't differ with your view because I initially did think the same. Not until I think it's not so long ago that I got realized that, oh, actually, it's a broad thing because I mm -hmm. might have been used to conserve areas in the context of national parks. Yeah. And it's super amazing. And yes, we actually are in a country, yeah. Uganda, that has quite a number of them. We have quite a number of protected areas. Let me say the most familiar, familiar ones uh, of, of national parks, and we also have reserves, mention them, very many of them. And uh, there are definitely are some challenges that we, we see being associated with them, some challenges with achieving conservation, maybe you already know them. So I'm keen to actually know what are some of these challenges you've already identified based on the work you've been doing before and actually right now. Okay, some of those are uh, related to human wildlife conflict with the explosion of the growing population day and night. Uh, the needs of people are so much, so demanding. Like uh, they need to do expansion with agriculture, uh, facilities, agriculture you know, gardens, all that. So food production, agriculture expansion has caused uh, uh, an impact. So people are trying to encroach on these protected areas in order to produce food to sustain their livelihoods and they end up conflicting with the, with the wildlife that is uh, living in those protected areas. First of all, biodiversity is lost in the process of cultivating burning and all those processes of uh, agriculture. And uh, also that there are this wildlife uh, or wild animals do not know like when they cross an area, it, it actually has a boundary. They think it is all their area to live in, you know, it is free for them to live in. So sometimes they don't know they have crossed over to the people's territories. And some people do not actually embrace nature. All they think of is killing them, even when they have no reasons. Because we've seen people kill this wildlife hunt to be sold so they can sustain their livelihoods. But others just have the hate, the hate of not wanting to live around uh, those that wildlife. So 
human wildlife conflicts are some of those. And uh, then there is also uh, less of awareness, less, less awareness in these areas. People do not know about the values of nature, the values that nature brings to or contributes in their lives. They don't know that each single species in the ecosystem builds up or contributes to the life of the other, or it is a survival of the other, like, uh, you know, the food chain of uh, uh, grass growing, eaten by a cob, but then a cob is fed on by a lion, you know, all that process, you know. People do not know about all the values that nature contributes to them. So sometimes they feel like it's not important and they just want to get rid of it. And um, I personally, in uh, my area that I grew up, I used to grow up when there was plenty of wood. All the time, people would have these gardens that produce very high yields. But now they have introduced the use of chemicals, small insects that would help in pollinating uh, that you know that these gardens, this food are no longer existing. There are no more bees to do pollination. So production of course has reduced and uh, there's uh, food insecurity in these areas. Uh, I was so shocked of recent when I got back home and they told me they even spray guinat in order for it to grow. That had never happened before. And trust me, if they don't do that, they will get totally no yields out of that you know, whatever garden. So the things of life, the things that they are using uh, in their local in the local setup in terms of agriculture are harming the environment. Some plants cannot thrive in a condition where they are being sprayed all the time with chemicals. And these plants are really important in the ecosystem. Like I said, every single thing in the ecosystem contributes to the survival of the others. So a lot of these things are happening and we are losing biodiversity in the process. There is a lot of deforestation. People look at forest now for charcoal rather than the, the shelter or as a habitat of the natural environment of the biodiversity species that belong there. They literally or hardly think about the biodiversity or they think of cutting a tree, getting charcoal selling and getting income to sustain their livelihoods, but they forget the other part of it, that if this biodiversity gets extinct or lessens in the environment, then they'll face the impact. So there is a lot of uh, that human wildlife conflict. People have lost value for nature and these people need to be reminded maybe a bit of awareness should be done. Uh, information should be in access. It should be accessed by the people. Knowledge sharing, indigenous knowledge is no longer valued by people and it used to be the best way of conserving nature because people had beliefs. They directly depended on the environment, but a lot of technologies have uh, been introduced and people feel like they can live with technology than the natural environment. So all those need to be reminded to the people like, you know what, that nature exists and it is really sustaining your life too. So you should embrace it. So there's that lack of sense in the communities to embrace nature. So those are some of the challenges I think uh, being faced in real life, yeah. I mean, these are not new challenges. They have been they have been in existence for for decades and centuries, and perhaps they are still out there. I know you've mentioned some of them, but you definitely still have a lot more at the back of your mind. Uh, but uh, right now, we shall just yeah. get to 
to understand a little more that yes, while you are while you've identified the challenges, there's always an ideal situation we are looking forward to. And uh, I'm curious to know what an ideal protected or conserved area actually looks like to you. So I imagine right now you are visualizing an ideal protected or conserved area in your mind, and that's what I want you to speak to. What does it look like, or what would that, what would it actually look like? Okay, this protected area would be first of all uh, have a community that is aware of its existence. Some people are living in communities, but they are not aware that that is a protected area and they don't know what its intentions are or what does it even benefit them, you know? So people should be aware of what is going on in the protected area so they can also take part in helping because we've seen communities, uh, you know, feel like there's really a need to engage communities in uh, in decision-making a protected area should be one where animals know, like, have boundaries and uh, the community shouldn't be all the time willing to do harm on the environment. They should be knowing the values that that protected area brings to them. And uh, another, another thing is that uh, this protected area, most of them are just being formed they should be formed in a way that is right, uh, that has respected the rights of the of the custodians of that specific area. I'm talking about indigenous people who have arrived in these communities. So a protected area or conservation area should be established or should be governed with consideration of the rights of the people around it. Because these are the people who help in managing it when you're away. You know, whenever you engage people to contribute decisions during planning, they always find it easy to help you in uh, in uh, achieving whatever goals you're trying to achieve. So a protected area should be one that is accessible, first of all, to the people around it. We've seen scenarios of people around, for example, Queen Elizabeth National Park who tell you, like, they, have, they were born in the area in a, in a, okay, Kasese, they have lived and grown, but they don't know what is inside the park. The only little bit of uh, wildlife they see is the one that sneaks out and they sometimes intend to pose harm on it. So they should be at least sometimes given a chance to access those national parks, those conservation areas to get to know what is there. And why are they conserving it? And what can we do actually to help in conserving it? What does it benefit the people around? And how can the people around actually do impact in communities or do things that can help them grow with the nature that is thriving in that uh, national park or conservation, conservation area? So I think a national park or conservation area or a protected area it should be in a way that the people around it are benefiting from it while the wildlife is also thriving. They are aware of the values that it contributes to the, to the environment and they should be taking part in decision-making in order to protect it. So it should be done with all the people fully engaged and uh, with their rights completely honored or considered. That's what I think. 
super amazing. I think the one of the most main things I've picked is actually now centering people, centering I would call them IPLCs in short, to always like yeah. steward steward their own communities because I mean mm-hmm. that's that's only what is ideal. And uh, there is a reality and then there is a vision. So right now I'm curious to know something about your reality and the vision. You yes, you've talked about the challenges, you've talked about what an ideal P P A or C A actually looks like. And uh, I'm curious to know what you as an individual or maybe you as a group or you with an organization or organizations are actually now doing to address these, these particular challenges you did mention or hint about. Okay, uh, in a, first of all, we've uh, known about the young people, the youth having over 70% as the population of uh, Uganda's, you know, complete population. And uh, most of these young people are really vulnerable. They are not employed. I'm going to relate this in a way that uh, the vulnerability and the unemployment that these young people are facing right now is causing harm to the environment because they are starting to get attempted to engage activities that are degrading the natural environment to poach on forests they are the country they are the biggest timber loggers because they are paid money they need to sustain their livelihoods and they are doing it in the name of sustaining their livelihoods but i'm sure if they were already aware of the impacts this is posing to the environment they wouldn't engage in such uh, activities they would rather opt to do alternatives that would help them sustain their livelihoods than engaging in activities that are actually claiming the, the, the values of nature. So young people need to be empowered, first of all. They need to be empowered uh, and the local communities along around these peers and CAs need to be empowered. Their capacities need to be built so that they can be able to engage in policy review. Some of these policies were established way back before people go to even know English. Now people are learning to know English. They can speak it and they can be able to read. So how about these policies are reviewed and updated? And uh, these are done with uh, effective and inclusive participation of all major groups, the young people, the women, the IPLCs can be able to contribute, give the knowledge on how best they can engage in conserving the environment. So we as um, uh, NGOs, what we do specifically is on com- complementing what the government does. Of course, there are those things that we cannot do without government's authorization. So we work with government. We are trying to partner with government, re- get resources so we can empower local communities, give them alternatives. If they are trying to do timber logging, how about we give them alternatives of uh, maybe trying to help them plant more trees, provide them with tree siblings. So they can use these trees for the commercial purpose and live around the indigenous tree species that are helping actually uh, biodiversity species to thrive. We're also helping in training rangers, equipping them because most of the rangers are equipped by the, the sorry, they have trained but they don't have equipment to use in monitoring the wildlife there is also helping in uh, creating awareness in local communities building relationship with p 
people and uh, wildlife so that they can know what it contributes. The other, the next day, uh, when people see a lion has sneaked out, instead of getting stones and and boars to shoot it to hunt it, they would rather maybe close their houses and uh, call the 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 people author authorized to come and help and correct that wildlife and take it back to where it belongs. So communities need to be empowered first of all. Young people need alternatives of uh, maybe doing renewable energy, investing in a in a small innovations that can help them sustain their livelihoods rather than poaching to trade uh, uh, elephant tusks and uh, hides and skins of animals. How about we help them with? Uh, these small startups, so they, they can be, all they need is uh, an alternative source of livelihood and making them aware about the values that nature brings on the table so they can embrace it and help in conserving it. So we are empowering young people, the women, building their capacities so they can be able to engage in policy, but also working with government to see, to analyze the gaps, see where we can fill in and help in making sure that these existing peers and CS are well protected and are well governed so that we can be able to, in a, in a long term, uh, a long term process, be able to completely make sure that these peers and CS are in well, in, in good structure and they can be able to accommodate the wildlife that is thriving in them. Yeah, that is, I think, what we can do. It's really very, very interesting and amazing because you've hinted a lot much on, on what on what the NGO sector is doing, what you are actually doing as well, and what is expected of the government in towards addressing some of these challenges that are facing protected and conserved areas. And uh, yes, just like yourself, there are definitely, or perhaps uh, so many other youngsters out there who are already, I would say who are already in the space, or those who are still trying to take the first leap of faith, I would call it the first leap of faith to to um, carry out the action they need to take for protected and conserved area work. And right now, I would like to hear from you uh, just briefly, uh, just a message. What message would you have to any other youngsters out there? Perhaps those who are already in the space or those who are prospective on how they should continue up, you know, Maybe what, what action do you think they should take for, for these conservation efforts in their localities? Okay, first of all, young people, we all know young people are flexible, they are energetic, and it's the best advantage this they need that would help them put their, their ideas into tangible innovations and actions that would save the environment. So all they need is the boldness to take a step and do some action. No matter how small it may be, it counts. It really counts. It really matters because all this was started by someone who came out and was bold and spoke about the rights of uh, the environment, the 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 need for biodiversity conservation, and all of us were inspired to take the same step. So young people need to be bold. They need to know that uh, if you don't uh, take action now, it is the future, your own future, that you're actually compromising. And uh, secondly, uh, there is uh, uh, 
young people need their capacities built. They need their capacities built so they can be able to engage in policy. It's not all about uh, decision making. It is also about implementation. Young people need to both engage in sharing ideas, but also on ground implementation so they can know the real life things that are happening on ground, not only the theory of activism and talking about issues that you, because whenever you go back to the local communities, you get to understand better how you can help the people. So it is always good to get on ground and try to do tangible things that can help in implementation. And uh, another thing is uh, young people have been, uh, most of the times uh, showcasing position papers uh, writings and all those researches, but this time they should start taking a different approach of coming up with action plans. A position paper is read and left there, you know, but an action plan can help you mobilize uh, partners, donors that are, can actually help you get the resources you need to put these ambitions into action on ground. And uh, we also need to be responsible in a way that we don't just have to do it because we are seeing people talking about it or not only advocacy. Let's also practice it in our own real lives. If uh, you're trying to reduce uh, your footprints, you're trying to reduce plastic, tomorrow you just also carry your own shopping bag. Don't be like others carrying around. Maybe someone would be inspired to also do the same thing you're doing. Or seeing young people doing action don't, uh, I mean, uh, try to make friendship with our elders because they know what they ever did and did not go right trying to implement these actions. We are trying to analyze best practices and to know a best practice, you have to know what has been earlier done that did not come out and what can you do best to put things that are going to produce tangible results in terms of environmental conservation. We also need to engage with uh, on a global level, get to learn about the different geographies and how are the people doing it in other communities and how can this actually, how can you borrow the knowledge to also implement in local communities? I can also tell you like uh, most of us have had a chance to, to interact and uh, get to attend these international conferences where we learn and get the knowledge. We've been talking on behalf of people who don't know that we actually exist. How about we go back and embrace their knowledge, go back and share the information we learn so that you may not be able to put it into practice because you have a lot of work to do and moving around, but the people on the ground can actually help you put your ideas or ambitions into actions that are going to produce tangible results. And this is going to help save the environment. So young people need to be bold they need to start being responsible, taking actions you know, regardless of how small they are, they matter. And we have to look at the older people as allies. You know, they have always kept distance from us whenever you talk about like AMA youth, they keep distance because they have seen young people uh, doing a lot of things that are really not so result oriented and it is really hard to trust us. So how about you make them your allies? so that you can be able to borrow their knowledge. Whatever they are not able to put in action today, you can be able to transfer the knowledge and be able to do something really important. So young people, 
need to just be bold and start taking actions that are really transformative. Yeah, that is what I can say to the young people. That's super amazing. I think that was even a lot more into detail. I might have got some key points for myself as well. And uh, very interestingly, we are getting to one, one nice part of the show. And this, and here you have to, something you don't want to see happen on your watch. So you can choose to start with not on my watch and you'll want to keep it to at most 10 words, at most 10 words, not on my watch. Or you might want to say on my watch. So it depends on you. You can decide which direction to take and it's over to you. Okay. On my watch, I don't want to be remembered as part of a generation that was irresponsible. I want to be remembered as part of the generation that took action actually to save the nature, the, the, uh, to save nature and to also uh, make sure that uh, the future generation's needs were not compromised. I want to be I don't want to be part of a generation that actually caused extinction or loss of uh, some of the beautiful and wonderful creatures that nature had to offer. I want to be part of the generation that did impact and actually brought back nature to recovery. That's what I want. So much poetry in there and, um, and I'm super excited about it. <laughs> That was so interesting and I should say challenging as well. And uh, mm -hmm. thank, thanks so much for, for your incredible, incredible responses to these particular, particular questions. And uh, at this point, we've come to the end of this particular session. And uh, thank you very much for coming through and sharing across your knowledge and insights. If I'm allowed to share a very last thing, I would also encourage uh, the fellow young people to try to promote climate literacy because climate is one of the biggest drivers of biodiversity loss. And uh, in order to stop this, the younger generation needs to grow when they are already aware of the things that are happening. In that way, actions, younger people are going to grow up making taking action as part of their responsibility than just reading it in books so literacy of uh, the younger generation is really something we need to venture in and i'm sure it is going to produce uh, very impactful results and uh, i'm really so grateful that uh, you featured me at this podcast today and i'm looking forward to many more engagements and uh, sharing about young people's uh, needs and contributions so we can all together fight to uh, to achieve our main goal of living in harmony with nature. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much for